0: Here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dharmic Evolution. Oh, what a great guest I have today. I learned so much from this gentleman in such a short time. He is one of America's top communication speakers, theorists, and coaches. He's a passionate teacher. He's committed to helping people find clarity in their thinking and ideas, and then delivering them with panache. He's been commissioned by Fortune 50 companies to write for many CEOs and presidents. He's coached people to give congressional testimony, to appear in the media, and to deliver unforgettable TED Talks. He's worked widely with political and educational leaders, and he has himself spoken, led conferences, and moderated panels at venues around the world. During the last election cycle, he provided expert commentary on the presidential debates for CNN. His methods, which are well-known for challenging conventional thinking, have been published worldwide. His acclaimed book on public speaking, Working the Room, How to Move People to Action Through Audience-Centered Speaking. It was published by Harvard in 2003 and reprinted in paperback in 2005 as Give Your Speech, Change the World. How to Move Your Audience to Action. His book on authentic communications, trust me, was published by Josie Bass in January 2009. His book on communications and brain science, Power Cues, The Subtle Science of Leading Groups, Persuading Others and Maximizing Your Personal Impact, was published by Harvard in May, 2014. And his latest book is Can You Hear Me? On the Perils of Virtual Communication, published by Harvard in 2018. Nick served as editor of the Harvard Management Communication Letter from 1998 to 2003. He has written hundreds of articles for local and national publications and appears frequently on radio and TV. Nick is a former fellow at the Center for Public Leadership at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. After earning his PhD in literature and rhetoric, Nick spent a number of years teaching Shakespeare and public speaking at the University of Virginia, Lehigh University, and Princeton University. He first started writing speeches for Virginia Governor Charles S. Robb and went on to found his own communications consulting organization, Public Words, in 1997. Nick attributes his success to his honest and direct approach that challenges even the most confident orators to rethink how they communicate. You better strap up your seatbelts, because we're taking a ride today on the Dharmic Evolution with Dr. Nick Morgan. So, Dr. Nick Morgan, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. It's a
0: great pleasure to be with you.
1: I um, I was so uh, happy to to meet you via your brand and um, you know, find, found out what you did. And I've never had anybody with the specialty niche that you have on the show before and I'm really excited about it for the benefit of not only my listeners but myself as well. I learned so much by going on your website and I caught some of the um some of the debates that you did back in 2016 modeling and and observing body language and then and then you know you know like just talking about it and explaining to people what that's all about. And I'd like to touch on a bunch of the things um, that you do in your world. Um, but I'd like to start with just by asking you, um, how did you ever get connected to you know, the interest, first of all, in what you do? Um, and then all, all of a sudden, you, you found yourself years later t- turning into a big brand and teaching people and, and all the things that you do. So how did it first connect with you to say, this is something people need?
0: The, uh, the origins of that go back a long way for me. I was 17, actually. Uh, I was tobogganing. And by the way, a little footnote, advice for a living to your listeners and, and viewers never toboggan it's just not a good idea you can't steer the the thing (laughs) (laughs) Um, so uh i crashed the toboggan uh, fractured my skull was in a coma and i actually died for 15 minutes during the week that i was in a coma and it was just like in the movies they came rushing in with the the paddles and shocked me back to life and i went (laughs) and came back to life um and When you come back after a traumatic brain injury like that, you get tested to see if your brain still works. And I was very lucky. Mine did. Uh, Although uh, I say to people, um, I voted Democratic ever since. And and my Republican friends say, well, see, there was brain damage. But uh, (laughs) that that used to be a joke. Now in the partisan world we live in, I don't know if that's funny anymore. So (laughs) we'll let that one go. But what? What they couldn't test for, and and what took me a long time to figure out, was that I lost the ability to read body language. This is a very strange thing. It, it turns out that the state I was in was, is somewhat like autism for about a year. Um, and I had to retrain myself step by step by studying other people's body language. And you can imagine, most of my friends, of course, were 17 also, and at seventeen, everything you say is sarcastic. So I, I would, I would go to school, and and my friends would say, "Nick, you look great," and I would say, "Thank you." Yeah. And they would say, "No, we were sarcastic. You look terrible." Uh, and I would then try to figure out, "Oh, what did they mean by that? How so could you I?" You literally
1: tell? didn't know. You you just I didn't know. Wow. I took
0: people. I just took their words at face value because I no longer was able to evaluate the body language that tells us really everything we need to know about people's intent and what they mean. Uh, And so I became fascinated with that and gradually trained myself, retrained my brain uh, to be able to to read that like everybody else can, uh, especially with people that we know. Um, We're very good at at unconsciously reading the body language of our friends, our colleagues, our family. Um, We are not good at reading the body language of strangers. um, And in fact, most people aren't. There's a there's sort of a myth that the CIA and the FBI and the and the police can can detect lying. They're actually even with a lot of training, not much better than chance, fifty yeah. fifty. Um, and so we're just not very good at that. But um, what we care, what we humans care about, is intent. We care about what the other person means toward me, and and I want to get my intent across to them. Um, and and so we use body language unconsciously as a way of reading that. And the other the other fascinating thing about that now is, of course, we live in a half real, half virtual world. You and I are communicating uh, over a Zoom link, um, and, and so that's in the virtual space, and that changes how we communicate as well. We're hardwired to understand this, this uh, uh, body language communication, and we're getting a little bit of that because you and I are communicating over video. But for people listening on podcasts, they're only getting a sense of how I feel and how you feel and how they feel in reaction to what we're saying via our voices, uh, which right. is a fascinating way to try to decode other human beings' intent. So that's how I got started in this field. Uh, I uh, My second start, if you will, was uh, writing speeches for the governor of Virginia back in the day. And so I early became uh, interested in the political world and, and all of that. Uh, all, all of the uh, communications that go on there, and then went on to found my own company in 1997. I've been doing that ever since.
1: Can I rewind a little bit to the toboggan story? Now, now you had—I mean, it's amazing that you—you know—obviously you had a, a traumatic head injury. Mm-hmm. Um, Thrown into a tree, or just a, like like what what exactly happened? I mean, was yeah, it, thrown
0: into a tree. I didn't didn't make the turn again. Yeah. You can't steer toboggans,
1: right? Right. So when you were in that state, do you have any recollection of um, of and like you said, you you literally died. You were probably clinically dead for fifteen minutes. Like, yeah. was there anything that you remembered about that incident when you were in that state? Uh, you mean afterwards? No, I mean um, during it. Like, was it dreams, or or like you were in a different space, or anything happened to you? Like, you know, uh, uh, so you know, like in your mind, did you did you learn anything? Did did you have any experiences or anything like that? Like, going yeah, on? I usually
0: don't talk about this because it it's a uh, sort of a step too far for people. But you know, way to go, way to get into it, way to ask the question. I never duck it if it's asked. Yeah, I had an experience of an afterlife, um, and uh, I was. Uh, sent back, in my experience of it, to this planet <laughs> or right. this world uh, and and told I was too young and, and needed to learn a lot more about life and about love and about the important things. Um, and so back I came, and I'm still learning.
1: Right. So God is a genius once again. He, he brought you back to help um, the people of the Dharmic evolution today, but <laughs> countless other people that you've been working with. And, uh, and coaching along the way. I think it's really a fascinating subject that you chose, or maybe it chose you. I, I don't know which... But, uh, but I'm so, so glad because I learned so much from just being on your, your socials and your website about the things you do. For instance, um, things that maybe intuitively some of us know about, like personal space, social space. Could you get into that a little bit for the benefit of our readers and just describe you know what that's, that's all about and how you should like like get your antenna up for that and just you know learn from it next time you're in an encounter with somebody?
0: Yeah, most of us, don't think consciously about the space between people, uh, between us and other people. But we react very powerfully to it because there are deep taboos built into uh, our sense of our own intimate space. And the technical term for this is intimate space. Uh, and so uh, in Western cultures, it's 18 inches to zero is our intimate space. In uh, some Eastern cultures, it's a little less than that, but they still have that same sense. So it's about eight inches to zero. That's that's what we call our intimate space. And we only let, uh, obviously, intimates into that space, our loved ones, uh, right. truly, uh, uh, truly loved ones. Um, and if other people get into that space, it's incredibly uncomfortable for us. Um, the, the next uh, rung out, if you will, is from 18 inches to about four feet, uh, and we call that personal space in the trade. And that's the space where we all, we humans all pay most uh, attention. We, we're, we're deeply and truly engaged. Then from four feet to about 12 feet is social space. And that's kind of cocktail party distance. Uh, that's where we have loose connections with people. Uh, we pay attention to them, uh, but it's not the kind of connection that you pay in a personal space and certainly not an intimate space. Right. And then 12 feet or beyond is public space. And that's, at 12 feet, we first start to notice that other people are there. We start to keep track of where they are for personal safety reasons. That's how we're hardwired. Um, but we, the speakers especially can use this when they're thinking about themselves on stage. And performers can, musicians can as well. Um, we form a very tight and close bond with people who are in our personal space. Remember, that's the 18 inches to four feet. Right. But the the social space and public space are much looser, uh, less uh, deep, less uh, uh, powerful connections. And so your goal as a speaker or even indeed as a musician should be to get into that personal space of uh, your audience, if at all possible. Now, you have to find out a way to do it that isn't creepy or intrusive or aggressive. You have to find a nice way to do it. but uh, it's a way to connect most powerfully with audiences. And the, simple, the, the simplest way to raise your, um, your ratings, if you will, as a public speaker, for example, is to get into that personal space. So whether that's bringing an audience member up on stage to interact with so you can get uh, close to them and talk to them one-on-one, um, or whether it's getting into the audience itself Uh, to do a a kind of conversational Q&A sort of format, you figure out the way to do it. There are lots and lots of possible ways to make it look natural and normal. But if you can do that, then you really increase the power of your connection with people, and you'll see your ratings go up. It's sort of low-hanging fruit, as we say in the consulting world. It's a a fairly easy thing to change, um, but it greatly increases your connection.
1: Are you clairvoyant? Because you took the question right out of my mind, so I didn't... You're easy to interview. I was going to ask <laughs> for the benefit of us uh, artists, singers, songwriters, whatever you are, um, to to expand on that, which you did so, uh, so beautifully. Um, that is really, really valuable information because people um, are always trying to um, enhance their career, especially if they're a performer, like, you know, what do I do? How do I... Be my authentic self and really connect with my audience, and and you just gave us some some great pearls on that. I want to. And a add, follow up to that,
0: I, I, sh- I should add just a quick follow up. Great. The reason that works so well, uh, you may think to yourself, well, what's the point about getting one person up on stage, for example, or getting into the personal space of one person? And remember again. It's not the intimate space; very important distinction. It's the personal space, so that's eighteen inches to a foot and a half. It's about the distance you have from somebody if you're shaking their hand. So that's kind of comfortable, but we're paying close attention. That's where we make a personal bond with people, and nowadays that's what people want. They don't want to be broadcasted to; they want to have a sense of connection, authentic connection with their performers, with the speakers, with people that they meet, and so that's that's what we're talking about here. The reason that's so powerful for an entire audience, even if you only connect with one or two people in that personal way, is that we have these things called mirror neurons in our head. Um, and when we see somebody experiencing an emotion, we literally have a neuron that fires that fires that same emotion in, in our heads. And so if you bring somebody up on stage, to make this very simple, you shake their hand, they feel cool or excited or maybe even a little nervous because they're on the stage. They're next to the performer. It's a cool moment. What happens is that everybody else in that audience, they get neurons firing in their head, feeling like, oh, I have a connection with that with that performer too. Yeah, Works for speakers, works for performers. So that's what I'm talking about. Mirror neurons means that what you do with one or two people in the audience then affects the entire audience. And that's what Um, many performers don't realize that uh, connecting with one allows you to connect with the many.
1: That's fascinating. It's the first time I've ever heard it explained that way. And it makes total sense. You know, Uh, the empathetic uh, feeling of I'm there, I'm I'm there with that person on stage. That's, that's fantastic. Um, You've had uh, quite a career in education um, as a Both, you know, as a um, as a teacher, can you tell me um, about the experiences you had? Both teaching, you know, you were teaching Shakespeare and a whole bunch of other things. Can you give us some of the uh, the highlights of that period of your life when you were doing that?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I was, uh, in fact, teaching uh, Shakespeare and public speaking at the University of Virginia when I got a call from. The state secretary of education, and he said, "Morgan, how'd you like to put that academic bullshit of yours to the test?" I hope you can say bullshit on your podcast. Uh, if not, I've just said it twice. Uh, apologies. Uh, he said, "Our speechwriters had a nervous breakdown. The governor's speechwriters have a nervous breakdown, and, and and we need replacement on short notice." You're a, you you teach public speaking. Surely you could you could help. And and I had literally. Been very comfortable in, in an academic setting. I love teaching. I love getting students uh, to a better place in terms of expressing themselves, finding their voice, giving their uh, giving their speeches. So the idea of, of writing speeches for a governor was was a huge step for me. Uh, but I once it had been asked, I thought I could not take the step. It, it really was putting things to the test, uh, and so I jumped in. I should have asked why did the previous speechwriter have a nervous breakdown. I didn't ask that <laughs> until after I'd said yes. That was a big mistake. It turned out it was from overwork. Hello. Oh wow. And, uh, I wrote five speeches a day, seven days a week for two years for the remainder of the governor's term, uh, and so that was the hardest work, the, the number, longest uh, working week uh, weeks I've ever had, uh, and it was a, also a fabulous experience, especially in retrospect, because I learned so much.
1: Can I ask you how when you first realized like they gave you the criteria for writing these and gave you the schedule I mean did you have like some, some panic issues like how am I ever going to come up with enough content that's you know that's that's relatable and viable and going to work for this man when you know you're just getting into it
0: Yeah at first it's really really hard because you don't know the voice of the of the governor you haven't learned that yet it's a little bit like uh um writing a play uh in that you've got to inhabit the voice of those of your characters and and so your your governor becomes your character Um, once you get the hang of that once you've done it once it's much easier to do it again and again Uh, and so it just took me a while i did 12 drafts of the first speech that i wrote Um, and the chief of staff was my uh was was my teacher Uh, And he did not, he made it very clear that the first 11 drafts he thought were pure crap. Uh, And it was, (laughs) I think the 12th draft, he finally said, well, this isn't good, but it's acceptable. This will have to do. I think we also (laughs) ran out of time.
1: So, speaking of time, learning
0: experience.
1: How long (laughs) did it take you to do 12 drafts of of a speech? I mean, that must have been (laughs) insane.
0: Yeah, that was a week period. So I did. 12 drafts in a week. So that's roughly two a day, something, yeah. something like that. So I, I, I turned the one in, in the morning, uh, to the chief of staff and he'd have it back to me by lunchtime telling me how awful it was. And I'd do another draft and turn it in that evening and the following morning it would start again. Yeah, that was pretty brutal.
1: <laughs> so is this what got you like interested in um, uh, the world of politics? I mean, you got into it b- basically by, you, you got employed to, to do something in there. But with that happening to you, did you find it, um, this is an area where I feel like I can I can add a lot of value um, outside of the speech writing, but just being interested in this, in this world.
0: Yeah. Once you get involved in the political world, it's, it's, uh, it's a gateway drug. It's, it's so exciting. It's constantly changing. The things you do are in the news um, for good or for ill. Uh, Also that era. So that was uh, in the uh, late eighties, early nineties when I was doing politics, Um, that era was, we thought it was, we thought it was contentious then, yeah. but it's a lot friendlier than the era now. I, I don't know how I'd feel about it now where everything is so tribal and, and, and uh, nobody seems to uh, really entertain ideas seriously anymore. It's just about which tribe you belong to. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how he would react to that. This is, it's a tough world now, but at the time we really had a sense that, that the things we were arguing about could make the state better, a better place. Uh, and that's, just a very exciting thing to be part of.
1: Can we talk about um, we talked a little bit about body language at the outset and I wanted to capture you know um, a few more of these things um, in our short time together. So how about storytelling? Can you tell us um, a little bit about? And again, for the benefit of other people who listen to this show, who are who are writers, who are trying to tell really good stories, like with music. But then there's a lot of podcasters that listen, and author speakers, and thought leaders. Um, so telling a good story, and I'll give you just a brief example. When I first started this, I gave myself the. Uh, the handle of Master Storyteller, and and it, I did it almost like tongue-in-cheek, but it, I also did it in the hope that, well, if I keep putting it out there, because I came from an electrical background, and the guys did, you know, I started my own business, and you were an electrician, you were, a, you were an apprentice, but then you became a master electrician. So I said, well, if I keep telling myself that I'm the master storyteller... I better get good at it and and really work my ass off to be one. <laughs> and so, um, so I'd like you to tell us um, your experiences with storytelling and how to how to be better at it. How to uh, how to like entertain people, capturing uh, their attention with story and using story as a powerful um, way to you know get them connected to what you're trying to teach.
0: Storytelling is essential. Uh- these days uh, we all know we live in a distracted world information overloaded world and everybody's worried that uh, sort of we can't get anybody's attention anymore and and i'll i'll say to people when i'm working with them on a monday morning so how did you spend the weekend they said oh well i binge watched game of thrones so <laughs> It's, it's not really the true that our attention spans have, have gone. It's just that we have so much information to, to handle that we look to shortcut things. So if they don't grab our attention, uh, we we'll are move on to the next thing. That's why storytelling is so essential, because storytelling does grab you. The key is most people, uh, when they say they're storytellers, when they think about storytelling, they're actually doing anecdotes. They're not telling stories. And the difference is an anecdote is, like I was in the grocery store the other day, and insert your favorite movie star was in front of me in the line that's an anecdote right but your reaction to that should be yeah okay so what there's no story there a story would be well I tapped the famous movie star on the shoulder because I've seen that person so often in the movies that um, I kind of think I knew them so I sort of expected them to know me and I thought we'd have a great conversation instead the person responded in an obnoxious way and said, get out of my face. So that's the beginning of a story because we have conflict there. We have two people, we have conflict. We have uh, one idea in one person's head, another idea in the other person's head. Um, that's not a great story. I just made that up, but um, it's the beginning of one. And that's the key is that without conflict, you don't have a story. The, the 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 other reason storytelling is so important is it's the way our minds work Um, and so an example we'll put both these pieces together and uh, and make it clear what i mean imagine you're two years old you wander into the kitchen there's this glowing horizontal orange thing that looks strangely attractive and irresistible and you go over and you put your finger on it. it turns out to be a hot stove you react with shock with pain, with grief, with anger, with fury, with surprise, with shock, you're just, you're completely uh, uh, upset and, and, and your, your normal life, everyday moment to moment life is disrupted by this horrible experience. You never forget that. You never put your finger on a hot stove again. That's the way our brains are constructed in the sense that we experience little moments like that. We attach emotion to them depending on how they affect us either positively or negatively and we remember things according to the level of emotion to the hierarchy of emotion that we attach to them so imagine then back to the modern world you're trying to capture the attention of the everyday information overloaded person if you don't tell them a story with a powerful emotion in it you're simply not going to attract their attention because there are too many other things that already do have powerful emotion attached to them in their lives that will crowd them out. And what everybody's worried about these days, it's a very anxious world. And, and if we're at work, we're worried about our pe- the people at home. Um, and if we're at home, we're worried about what's going on at work. Um, and, and And that sense of always being connected 24-7 means that we're just one email one text away from some sort of disaster again at work or at home so that's that's the anxious world we live in now and if you're going to cut through as an entertainer or a speaker with a story it's got to be as strong and as powerful as that fear that they have lurking in the back of their mind to pull them away uh, to uh, to some personal issue or some personal uh, disaster that's happening in their lives right now you've got to be more powerful than that. So your story has to have conflict, and it has to have strong emotion, and that's the starting place. and And then I get into a lot of detail about how you tell stories the straight, the structure, the arc of stories. Uh, but the place to start is with conflict and strong emotion.
1: Do you feel that there's a um, there's a deficit in in really good storytelling um, these days? And and the reason I, I ask is because. For a couple of years, I've been talking on this show about um, vinyl and the experiences as as a youngster buying vinyl, and it was a whole um, it was a whole interaction, a social interaction. Of you took out the the vinyl, you you could smell it. You put it on the turntable. You physically dropped the needle in. You looked at liner notes and photographs, and and it was a whole event. You know, it was like and you know going back to binging on Game of Thrones. It's it's all one-sided. You're just receiving, and you're receiving, and it just it just you're not in, you're not engaging with anything. And and now it, it's a couple years later, and I'm finding that vinyl. It's like I had this girl on the phone uh, last week. She's a sophomore, and she was with her aunt, and she, she gave the phone over to me, and she was talking about a song she heard of mine. And I said, Well, I'm so glad you liked it. I'd like to get give you one of my CDs. And her aunt said, Do you have a CD player? She was like, "I have to ask my father. I only play vinyl," and this sixteen-year-old kid is like, "So there is some kind of three hundred and sixty resurgence happening, which I get very excited about because going back to storytelling, mm-hmm. that's a really great story about you know you are sharing music, you are sharing thoughts and ideas and things like that. So it makes me feel like you know the CD world missed the boat on that particular format of finding out about music, you know." Uh, so, uh, so I think there's hope for us. <laughs>
0: yes. I think you're right. There's hope. But you're absolutely right in that the, the virtual world, um, streaming with music uh, and, and all the other ways we now communicate, each one of those makes it easier to communicate, but also takes less of the power of the face-to-face connection out of it. There's less for us to do. And to your point you all you have to do is is flick a button and you suddenly got all this music streaming at you that's not as interesting to a human being as somebody who has a vinyl record and has taken it out of the sleeve and looked at it and 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 then put it carefully on the on the player and started it up you know that little interaction that ritual if you will uh, creates a sense of connection to the music that's missing from streaming and and so of course, I get all the advantages of streaming. I've got music on twenty-four-seven myself, but uh, um, it's not as uh, as deep a connection. It's easy come, easy go. That's the danger of the virtual world as a whole. Is that uh, without the without the uh, personal information? Um, and I wrote a book about this. I feel so strongly about it. Called "Can You Hear Me?" Uh, without the uh, the uh, virtual, uh, the the, the uh, human connection as strong, then. Uh, we don't invest as much in it. We don't care as much about it.
1: I wanted easy to, come, easy go. I wanted to congratulate c- congratulate you on your latest book, Can You Hear Me? And also for you folks, uh, you have uh, other books, Power Cues, Trust Me, and uh, you have Working the Room, Give Your Speech uh, That Changes the World, I think that is. Um, so you've been writing for a while. Um, when's the next book coming? <laughs>
0: yeah the next one uh well i've got two in the works
1: uh i had <laughs> a feeling i've
0: been overachieving lately uh, i've got two in the works uh, uh one's a, a a very straightforward basic primer on public speaking but it's how to speak um in casual situations so you suddenly get five minutes uh, uh, or you're in a conversation an important meeting and everybody looks at you and says uh, uh, okay, Nick, what do you got to say about this? It's about being able to tell a powerful story in those kind of more casual moments um, as well as the formal ones. So uh, that's the that's the next one. I think that'll be fun.
1: That'll be awesome, especially for you ladies and gentlemen who go out and do like these radio promo tours um, where you just have like a, you know, a segment of the, here's the mic and you've got, by the way, you got two minutes and, you know, right. we're going to go to commercial or so. That's, Make us that's, care. Yeah, two minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about, we can go to either two, one of these two. I want you to talk about either communications and or public speaking or, or both. But can you share with us, um, these are two areas that you excel in and help people with. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Give us some words of wisdom on those two subjects or one of them?
0: Uh, well, I work with professional public speakers and with executives, both who, who speak for their business or on behalf of their business. Uh, so that's really my sweet spot is working with professional speakers and executives. And the the the, the key there always is, um, it used to be you could speak in a formal way with a script and, and hide behind a podium and, and there were all these barriers between us and the audience and, and the, the, those, those kind of give you sort of security you don't have to show up with a lot of personality to those Um, now we expect speeches uh, to be authentic and speakers to be real and and, and to tell us uh, something of who they truly are Uh, and so that actually demands much more of us uh, than uh, public speaking used to it's a tougher game now because we have to bring a little bit of ourselves in but it's also an opportunity it's that's a lot more satisfying if you can do that what we human beings crave in the long run is to is, is to be seen and to be heard and, and to feel like we left our mark on the planet for, in a good way uh, and that other people heard us and we could share our stories uh, with them. Uh, and so public speaking now and performing too, to that extent, gives you a chance to do that in a way it didn't before. That is a very exciting time uh, to be a public
1: speaker. You have done um, more than one TED Talk. I think you've done several TED Talks. Um, that seems to be, um, the, the way it's set up is, like you described, you, there is, doesn't seem to be um, any props on most of the TED Talks that I've seen, you know, like no podium. It's usually you're just kind of stripped down to, uh, I'm just here, it's just me and you, the audience, and, you know, my, uh, my props are in here and in here, you know, in my head and in my heart. So... Um, That, I feel, I mean, you tell me what what, what we should think of that. It feels like um, you're getting the best of the person who's giving the TED Talk by stripping away those, there's no slides, there's no, you know, no projected movies or anything like that. It's just, it's just a talk.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, TED Talks vary quite a bit. There are lots of them out there now, and I've worked with a lot of people on their TED Talks as well. And. And we do use slides occasionally, and very occasionally, uh, to your point, there'll be a prop or two. Um, and of course, there are some performers uh, who have done TED talks. Uh, uh, they tend to be quite short, like four or five minutes, so just one or two numbers. Uh, but um, so they'll have the piano or the violin or, or the guitar, or whatever they're using. So there, there is some of that. The vast, but you're right. The vast majority of TED talks are just a person standing in that. Red circle of uh, of carpet um, and and telling a story, and and I would say that TED talks to a certain extent have been a victim of their own success. the 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 problem with them is they become a bit of a cliche, in that the person starts with this harrowing personal experience and then they tie that to some lesson or 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 a new way of looking at the world, um, and then they circle back to their uh, to their harrowing personal story. Nothing wrong with that, but if you do any any uh, format like that, many, 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 many times, it does become a bit of a cliche, and and so I think TED is struggling a little bit uh, to um, to uh, uh, remain sort of as relevant as it was. It's become a victim of its own success. There, there's now I think I heard this stat. There's a TED or TEDx event going on every single day somewhere in the world, and probably more than one, uh, and and so it's just. Uh, it, it's crowded the market with its own its own product, if you will. Um, but uh, still, a great uh, way to uh, um, to connect with people. It's it still is sort of a badge of uh, coolness or, or or honor or something to us to say you have given a TED talk or a TEDx talk is is more typical these days. Uh, so uh, absolutely nothing wrong with them, but they've become a victim of their own success, I think.
1: So you think um, a little bit too formulaic and predict- pre- predictable? Like you, I know it's you know it's kind of like we see what worked, so we're all gonna kind of do the same thing. Um, you know, I, I see what you're saying. Um, your favorite place for public speaking? Speaking? Do you have a favorite like where you feel like you connect best uh, with certain groups, or is it um, you know certain events? Um, where do you f- feel that you're most impactful, um, when you're doing public speaking?
0: That's a great question. Um, uh, you know, there are two kinds of speakers. There are speakers who get nervous speaking to strangers and who are comfortable speaking to friends. And then there are speakers for whom it's the reverse. They're comfortable speaking to strangers and nervous speaking to friends. And, uh, for me, I'm the kind of person who I love speaking to small groups, uh, of uh, especially people that I know where a conversation can go deep um, and it can uh, be improvisational. We we can go off the script and, and get into subjects that are of mutual interest that come up between us, ideas that get sparked in the moment. For me, because I have a background in improv, that's really fun. Um, and so I like conferences that allow for that. Conferences, I think, one of my beefs uh, with many of them is that they try way too hard just to just to uh, never let a dull moment go by. So they, they, they just jam-pack them with, with too much content, too much speaking, and don't give enough space for people uh, just to connect with each other, for audience members to connect with each other and the speaker in the audience to connect and, and to allow for those improvisational moments. For me, that's the real joy of, of uh,
1: public speaking. Yeah, what was your background in improv?
0: Oh, I live here in Boston, and, and uh, so I did the... Uh, shout out to uh, improv Boston um, I did that for a couple of years um, um, a few years back so uh, oh, okay great, great organization and a great way to develop your chops
1: awesome let's talk about uh, thought leadership um, you know what is it and why should people be interested in it and you know I'm asking this rhetorically obviously but um, and you know like what can it do for people? either aspiring to be a thought leader or finding people that are relevant to you, your brand and following them and why should we?
0: This is a great time to be getting gigs. Um, Well, um, to establish your expertise in that, you have to do a number of things to show that you're a thought leader. So you have to put out some free content to the world in some way, and then you have to market that on in social media in some way. Um, and sort of your choice how you want to do that, but you've got to find a lane and stick to it. So it might be a blog, it might be YouTube videos, um, it might be Instagram, there, there are all kinds of ways to do it. Now that's the good news. The bad news is you have to do that, find a lane, do it consistently, do it well, so that you get to be known because there's so many other people doing similar things in the world right now that just to get the world's attention takes a lot of time on task. It takes a lot of patience. Uh, We have this mistaken idea that you'll instantly get, uh, uh, or the best way to do it is to instantly get a viral video, and and so people spend a lot of time trying to figure out, how do I get a viral video? The problem with viral videos is they come and they go just that fast, Um, and if you want to be a thought leader, you have to establish expertise over a longer period of time. Uh, but then, if you can, um, the, the the world that's open up opens up to you is a potentially very lucrative career in public speaking, and and that's uh, that's why people do it. Um, uh, in the operational sense, uh, I hope the reason they're doing it, the deep reason they're doing it, is because they have a passion for the subject. Because you're going to be spending an awful lot of time, say, on artificial intelligence. So if you don't really genuinely love it. It'd be a great mistake to say I'm going to become a thought leader in artificial intelligence because the amount of time it's going to take to establish yourself um, in the busy world, in the fast-moving world we live in now, and then to stay expert in that. The amount of free stuff you have to put out to the world and then and then the uh, content that you ultimately get paid for. Uh, there's so much work there. It's It's a lifetime career. So don't do it unless you really, really love it. Does that answer your question? Or yeah. No, question? that's
1: that's great. That's great. And I also um, I wanted to ask about a problem that I've seen um, for a while now, um, not only with myself but with with other people who um, are, as my friend Dara Brustine put it, multi hyphenated, uh, you know, industrialized people who are always creating, just always creating something, and and the problem with that is. It's very, very hard to cut off one of your babies and say, nah, I'm gonna have to put you in the parking lot for now because I'm... And and it's, it's necessary, to your point, if you're gonna be successful at anything, you know, anybody will tell you in business the, the, the way to get ahead is specialization and stick to yeah. what you know, as you just you know uh, yeah. alluded to. So I wanted to ask you, based on all of the things that you have done to build your brand and your business and, and all of the different disciplines and things that you have, have you struggled with this or had a period of your, of your life or your career where you, you had the same kind of challenges where I got all these great things and it's like... You know i'm dividing my time amongst you know whatever it is from some musicians myself it's podcasting it's I have an agency of you know singer songwriter writing songs so it's like you know you have to really be disciplined about your time but you also have to put the right amount of energy into the right subject at the right time to to get some traction so is that yeah, something I mean, that you've had a, yeah a if, well,
0: it's an ongoing struggle yeah I mean, my first and and truest love is writing, uh, but uh, uh, as all the authors out there will know and hear me, uh, it's very hard to make a living as an author. the The numbers who who can actually do it just writing, the uh, the Stephen Kings of this world and the uh, and the J.K. Rowlings of this world, you can count on the fingers of a few hands and and feet, um, and the rest of us have to figure out something else to do. Um, and so we got into coaching, or, or we're performers of one kind or another. Um, the the way to the way I found to balance all those competing demands and, and the need to make a living um, is, to the extent you can, try to focus as much as possible all the activities so that they're feeding the same passion. Uh, and and I realize that's easier said than done, uh, but that's the that's the a path that you have to find and that's, follow, great. that's great that's great that's exactly you what crazy. I'm doing
1: you read my yeah. mind again yeah I'm so glad we got together <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure so so of all the different things you said writing is your favorite and and just at, as we're going to wrap up I got to ask this one too when you're an author of, of multiple books now and you got two more in the in the bank or, or being about to be trotted out soon um how do you find like your schedule? Do you, are you like an early morning guy like to where you segment and say, <laughs> I'm going to write this during this time frame," or is it just, you have to do it week by week? How do you schedule your time in to get this done?
0: Well, what I find is, um, I would love to tell you I'm one of those early morning people. I've heard about early morning people. I've read about how much they get done. Whatnot. I am not, I am a night person. And I feel sometimes like I'm the last night person left in the world. Uh, but, um, I hate early mornings. I don't get started for a while. I'd, uh, a couple of cups of coffee and I'm finally ready to go and start thinking about things. But I really get cranking uh, in the evening and, and I often go till late at night. Was uh, I okay one,
1: with the 10.30 call this morning? Now I'm feeling that bad. Was, that was good, yeah. No, that
0: <laughs> I'd had my coffee, I was ready to go. Early morning is like five or six, come on. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and I just can't do that well. So uh, uh, what makes it possible is is passion. So I make time for writing because I love to write. And if you don't love it, you're not going to make time for it. That's yeah. really the, the the issue. So you got to find stuff that you can stand to do for the long term, that you love to do for the long term. Uh, and you'll make time for those. And the stuff you don't make time for is going to uh, fall by the wayside and you just better uh, look back, kiss a goodbye and move on because yeah. uh, uh, you're not uh, you, there's always more that you could do. Uh, you're never going to get done with, uh, especially with the social media world that we live in. Now you can, you could do Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter forever and never, you'd never be done. Right. Yeah. So it, it, you've got to focus on the stuff you love doing and, and pick the things amongst that set of, of activities that keep, uh, keep you alive, keep you uh, keep food on the table. Uh, and then just try to get as much joy out of you as you can out of the out of the things that you're doing on a daily basis. Right. There's no there's no one set solution for people. Yeah. Uh, you know the people I really envy um, are the people who knew, like at age three, they were going to be violinists or something like that. The yeah. People, uh, authors often come to that realization a bit later on in life. Um, and 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 they because it's hard to, hard to way it's a hard way to make a living so you you figure you try other things and you go oh i don't really like that so much and and so and you keep coming back to writing and, and so it takes a long time to figure out how to make a living doing that but i am very happy i'm very lucky in the sense that uh, coaching people brings p- new people into my life all the time um, and so that keeps me engaged in the world And so then when I go to write, that's a very solitary activity um, that kind of recharges the batteries and, but it feels like special time for me. And then I go back into the world and reconnect with people and coach with people. So it's a nice balance the way it's worked out.
1: Fabulous. Um, Dr. Nick, what is the best place, uh, best platform for our audience to connect with you, support you? Uh, purchase you. I know your books are all on Amazon, but where can we go to find out all about? Website is the best place.
0: Yeah, website sure. D- www.publicwords.com. Um, there's a there's a form there to uh, to interact with us and lots and lots of free information. Uh, the, you mentioned the blog earlier. Thanks for that. There's there's tons of free information on the blog. There are lots of videos on the on the website. So um,
1: so that's the place to start. I love the name, publicwords.com. That's really awesome. And, um, you know, I can't thank you enough for today. I learned so much. I know the people listening learned so much. And um, it was just an honor, a privilege to have you on the Dharmic Evolution. I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you and your continued work for us out here.
0: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on the Dharmic. What a beautiful name, the Dharmic You know, the journey that that we're all on, it's an excellent, excellent name, and and I hope it succeeds and prospers.
1: Body language, storytelling, communications, public speaking, persuasion, thought leadership, and don't forget about the books by Nick, Working the Room, Give Your Speech and Change the World, Trust Me, Power Cues, Can You Hear Me? is his latest, and don't forget about, there's two more in the works, and you'll be the first to hear about them. Go to publicwords.com. That is Dr. Nick Morgan's website, and I hope you guys appreciated the content today as much as I did. Really had a great time learning all about Nick's strategies, his methods, and, um, I think we're going to be like a far better bunch of speakers, performers, and entertainers after listening to this broadcast. If you have not yet subscribed to the Dharmic Evolution podcast, go over to the website. You can do it easily there. Go to DharmicEvolution.com and you can click on any platform that you like to get your podcast on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, we're on Pandora, we're on all of them. So just go there and click on sign up and then the show will come right to your phone. How convenient. I also wanted to thank all of the people and there were so many this week who signed up for the Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page. Um, go over there. If you're an author, speaker, thought leader, singer, songwriter, if you've got a new book, if you're doing a, um, a performance somewhere, you have a new album, new CD, a new vinyl coming out, a photo shoot, are you playing a gig somewhere, are you speaking at a convention, put your content up on the Dharmic Evolution Facebook community page and you will be supported by so many people around the world who are vying for your success. That's a wrap for me today. I'm your host for the Dharmic Evolution, James Kevin O'Connor, singer-songwriter, audio-video artist, master storyteller, and international talent agent. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from the stage.